there's an experiment underway in the MBA right now that I think provides some insight into what our spiritual journeys can look like. Before I dive into that, I want to remind you that we gather together as a community of faith, as a church on Zoom, Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. I'd love to have you there. This teaching, while we think it's important to dive into the Word together, it's not the, it's not the main deal. The main deal is when we join together as a community. We see one another face-to-face, even though it's just virtual for now. Uh, we see one another face-to-face. We pray together. A couple people share what's, what's going on. Just this, this connection point of growing as a community of God's people. So join us. We'd love to have you. If you don't already have that Zoom link, you'll see it. Um, on our social media pages, the meeting ID number, message me, message our social media accounts if you need that info. We'd love to have you with us. So this experiment in the NBA, it involves three of the game's biggest stars, Kyrie Irving, James Harden, and Kevin Durant. Each one of these fellows have been labeled as selfish at points in their NBA careers. Now the NBA has no shortage of drama. There's always some crazy storyline or other going on. Kyrie, he won a championship in Cleveland under the shadow of LeBron James. And there was a point at which he said, you know what, like I'm my own, I'm my own man. I'm a superstar. I want to prove myself. And so he had, he wanted to get out from under, uh, under LeBron James, the greatest player in the game today. He wanted to get out from his shadow and become a star himself. So he moved on. The other one, uh, Kevin Durant, he was a part of a great team, the Golden State Warriors, but he moved on because he thought, you know what, I don't fit in with their stars. I want to be my own star. I want to lead, lead the way. I want to um, be the, the master of the show. So he moved on from a pretty good situation at the time. People were ripping him and being like, man, Kevin Durant, he's so selfish. The third piece, James Harden, and he's maybe the epitome of what NBA fans call selfish. He's incredibly skilled incredibly skilled. Um, One of the greatest shooters the game has ever seen. Puts up 30 plus points night after night. But he's known for not engaging in the offense if it doesn't revolve around him. If there's a play that uh, involves one of his teammates getting the shot, getting the look, he kind of steps back and and there's clips that show him just kind of standing on the court, standing back, waiting for the play to finish up if he's not involved in it so he can get back into the the play. He's, He's, much of his career, he's been all about his own stats all about his own uh, stardom to the detriment of his team. So now these three, what have been known as selfish players, star players, have been joined together just a week ago now with the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, Durant and Kyrie were on the team earlier and now James Harden has joined and everyone's looking and being like, can these guys figure it out together? They've all wanted to be these stars, but they recognize they can't do it on their own. And everyone's saying, all right, can these guys really do it? And they're saying, yeah, like, we want to win a championship. We're going to make it work. We're going to mesh together, even if our stats suffer, even if we don't get all the, all the headlines. We're going to make this work because they've got their eyes fixed on the prize of an NBA championship. They're saying, our goal is that good. It's way more valuable to us to win the championship than to be the sole star, which is a change of tune for each of them in the past. And we're looking, we're looking to see if that, if that goal is lofty enough, if it's, if it's uh, a driving enough force for each one of them to really be able to make this happen. So how does this, what does this have to say for our journey with God? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share that with you in a moment. I think it parallels actually really well 
with what the Apostle Paul is up to. So I'm going to read to you from our text this morning, Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 to 18. And uh, I invite you just to, to pause the video, turn to it on your phone, in your, I've got a physical Bible here, but you can grab your phone, take a look, read along, let's absorb God's Word together. Philippians chapter 1, starting at verse 12, it says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Side note, if you're just joining in or if you're new to this, what has happened to Paul, he's sitting in chains. He's in jail right now. He got tossed in because he'd been telling people about Jesus. The, the officials, the rulers weren't real excited about that, so they tossed him in jail. And he's saying, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have been confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. So we've got Paul here in these troubling circumstances. Two weeks ago when we did our first message from Philippians, we kind of dwelled on this, this idea of the challenges and how Paul was finding joy in the midst of these challenges. And it's a compelling vision. I'm like, man, I want to be like that. I want to be this like unflappable, just focused on Jesus. This uh, just finding so much, so much joy and contentedness in what God has done for me, that no matter what happens, the storms that swirl around me, it's going to be okay. Like, I, I want to get there. And uh, it's, it's my hope to grow to be in that place, like the Apostle Paul. I've seen other people live that out, but I want to get there. So, he's in prison. He's in chains. The people are upset. He was, he's preaching a new, a new religion, a new system of spirituality. Really, what he's doing is revealing to people who the true Creator is and how they can be in relationship with Him. So, he's preaching Christ God showed Himself through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. God forgave our sins and defeated the powers of evil. has set us free when we place our faith in Him through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And Paul's going around spreading the news. This is the good news that Paul's letting everybody know about. And they're not happy about this, so they toss him in jail. And there was the very real possibility that Paul would never make it out of jail again. So, that's obstacle number one. Obstacle number two, while he's in jail, there's these other people rising up and they're saying, you know what, Uh, Paul, he's kind of got some limits right now. The people can't see him. They can't, he can't be with them. His influence has been severely diminished. This is our chance to kind of move in and have influence and control. And the interesting thing is that Paul talks about these these other people. He talks about them as fellow believers. There's other points at which he labels Um, people who oppose him, he'll call them enemies of the cross and other such very harsh kind of, but true judgments saying, you know what? They're not even in Christ. They don't care. They're bent on evil, so on and so forth. Here it, it appears he's talking about Christian sisters and brothers, other people in the faith. They've placed their faith in Jesus, but they're They've got some work to do in their own lives. They're a little bit messed up, a little bit out of sync. And, 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 and he says here that they've been selfish. 
He talks about they're preaching Christ, so they're telling people about Jesus, but it's out of pride, it's out of envy, it's out of rivalry. Then he goes on to say that their preaching of Christ, it's not sincere, it's actually out of selfish ambition. Like, Paul's not on the scene. This is our chance to move in. We're going to get this influence. We're going to take control of the churches. We're going to be the top dogs in charge. And, well, I don't know, like, nuts, nuts to Paul. We'll, we'll see what happens to him. But this is our chance. And Paul's sitting here in prison, and he's like, you know what? These, uh, these other folks, and, and he names it. He doesn't just, doesn't just say, oh, I'm so happy for those, those new leaders that you've got, and make sure you encourage them, whatever. Like, he names it. He says they're being selfish. They're operating out of envy. They're envious of me. They're operating out of rivalry. They want to be better than me. He names it. He doesn't ignore it. But he, he says, you know what? At the end of the day, it's not about me and my influence and my position and my control that matters. What matters, it's Christ. What matters is that people are finding out who Jesus is. He says the same thing for being in chains. He says the same thing for being in chains. He actually says they've served to advance the gospel. He talks about how the the jailers have found out about Jesus because he's there in chains. He's talked about how other believers have actually become more courageous and more confident telling people about Jesus because he's in these chains. So I I find this fascinating. In all of this, Paul could be so dragged down. He could be like, oh man, like I I might die here. The food's terrible. I can never wash myself. I have to have someone take me to go to the washroom. I haven't seen daylight for a while now. It's cold. It's damp. My bones are achy. Like He could have told them all of these things in this letter. He says, don't worry about me. He said, I'm in chains. He said, but the good news is it's actually serving to advance the gospel. And then the other piece about the uh, these other people who are unduly influencing the church. He said, it doesn't matter. Because Jesus is being preached. Fascinating, eh? Absolutely fascinating. You know, in in the midst of of COVID, in the midst of COVID, I don't know if you're getting sick of us talking about COVID and the limitations and and whatnot, but I mean, it's, it's our reality that we're in right now. It's really easy for us to become focused on the challenges and the limitations that we have. You know, we can't do this and we can't do that. And I'm feeling limited and and i'm i'm going squirrely and i've been saying this i'm going squirrely because i'm i've been working from home the last little bit i'm an extrovert and uh oh, it's hard on me just not to be out and about the other night Brittany went into work and i told the kids i said hey uh jump in the van we're going to tim hortons to get donuts and we went down to tim hortons and we kind of toured down by the by the beach there in grand bend along the road the circle there and uh, i just had to go somewhere it's so anyway it's easy to become focused on these limitations that we have. And Paul could have done that. But he says, you know what? Like, it's actually serving to advance the gospel. And so I invite you actually to have eyes to see where God's at work. I invite you to have eyes to see where God is working and to celebrate that. God is on the move. There are good things happening in my own life and in the lives of others. I have seen a greater openness to the moving of the Holy Spirit this year. I have. And it's been good because we're feeling the pressure on these points of our lives uh, in ways that maybe we never had before for a more sustained period. And that's not to say that the challenges and limitations aren't real. It's not to say we shouldn't acknowledge them. It's not to say we should just suck it up and, and plow through. But there's this greater reality of how God is at work. And Paul demonstrates what it looks like just to be so enamored with who Jesus is. Because the news of Jesus is that good. 
the news of Jesus is that good that it's bigger and better than our limitations. I, I just received an email this week, actually on Friday, from, from someone in our church who has a missionary connection from, uh, from Turkey. And uh, this missionary, they're back in, in North America, but they're, they're connected and they're getting reports from, from folks that they worked with over there in Turkey. And they reported and they said, you know, like, the gospel is actually growing fast right now. Fast than it has. And they said the reason is the government is so caught up in COVID-19 realities that they've kind of turned away and, and ignored the church. Turkey in a place where there is persecution for faith in Jesus. Where the, there's severe limitations on the church and what they're able to say and whatnot. It's a hard place to be a Christian. A lot of pressure. But the government's so caught up with COVID that the church is kind of flying under the radar in a way that they never have. And the gospel is spreading. People are finding freedom and hope in Jesus. And so this is like, I can imagine, you know, just like Paul said, maybe those church leaders are saying, hey, you know, we've got this reality and some folks have, have died and, and, and we've got limitations. I don't know what the limitations are in Turkey, but maybe they can't be out and about, whatever the case. And they're saying, but look, look, Jesus is being preached. How awesome is this? And so I invite us, like Paul, in the midst of this, to celebrate, to look for, to get excited about how God may be on the move. The next piece is this idea of other teachers who uh, are doing so out of selfishness and envy and, and rivalry. And uh, God has convicted me as I was working through this. Uh, I imagine that many of you have felt this in different ways. I feel this as a pastor. You look around and I see other ministries and I see other, uh, other, other pastors other churches, and uh, sometimes you can feel threatened by them. Sometimes you're like, man, like, especially if they affect you, or you're like, man, I wish that we were as influential or as successful as, as they were, and, and it's easy just to allow this, like, division to work its way into our hearts, and, and that's not even to say that sometimes other ministries, you know what, sometimes they, it's, it's fair to kind of evaluate and discern, and be like, you know what, like, I don't think they're going about things in the best way, or maybe they're not teaching the, the full gospel, or maybe they're not working things out into true discipleship, whatever. I'm, sh I'm sure that many of you have been there over your years as you look at other church ministries, whether it's far away or ones that impact us more immediately here. And we make these evaluations. We allow this division to work into our hearts. And I was feeling convicted with this text this week. God just saying, like, that's not okay. You might have all of your legitimate reasons. Paul had legitimate reasons for why these folks, these women and men who were preaching out of selfish ambition, why they were out to lunch. Paul had, he had good reasons. I could come up with what I think at least are all kinds of good reasons why this isn't up to snuff and that's not right and this is, and they're doing this out of this motivation and God's just like, God's speaking to me. He's like, you know what? Like, who cares? I'm being preached. People are finding out about me. Again, that doesn't mean we don't discern. That doesn't mean we call out direct false teaching. But is our posture by and large to celebrate? You know what? Jesus is being preached. That's what matters most. And so I'm going to find joy and I'm going to celebrate. So God was convicting me of that as I was working through this text this week. And uh, that's requiring more ongoing heart work in me. That's a, a process. But I want to be in this spot of being like Paul, being like, doesn't matter. The news is that good. The news of Jesus is that good that I don't care. He's being preached. People are finding out about him. This is what Paul finds his joy in. The last thing I want to touch on is, is just you see in this text that Paul has this, this central driving motivation for the good news of Jesus to be preached. 
It comes up over and over again. Uh, verse, verse 12, he uses the language of the gospel being advanced. He's in chains. They've actually served to advance the gospel, advance the good news. It's moving out further to more people. He talks about those who become confident to proclaim the gospel without fear. That's in verse 14. Verse 15, he talks about these folks with envy and rivalry that they're preaching Christ. Verse 17, he says, the former preach Christ out of selfish ambition. And then closing out in verse 18, he says, the important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is being preached. This idea of Christ being preached, the gospel being proclaimed, the good news being advanced, this is central. Like Paul is just, he's pumped about it. He really cares about the good news of Jesus going forward. He really cares about that. He cares about it more than his immediate circumstances. He cares about it more than the success of other leaders around him. And and, uh, it leads me to think, we have to ask this question. Do we care about the good, good news of Jesus going forward? Do we care? Is it an afterthought? Is it something that we, you know, once everything else is taken care of and we feel like we're in a pretty good healthy spot, then, oh yeah, we should tell people about Jesus too. Or is it something that drives us? Is it something that drives us? And, and God was also speaking to me about this, you know, as, as we emerge from COVID, whatever that looks like, I don't know what that looks like. I don't know when that's going to happen. But as we emerge back into more freedom to live together, to worship together, to be active in our community as we wish, what's, what's our primary concern? Is our primary concern gathering the community back together, our church community, gathering our church back together? Is our primary concern making sure that we have good teaching in person? Good, It's going to be so good to sing together, and it is. Oh, I can't wait until the Sunday we can sing together as normal. Is that what drives us? Is it making sure that we're able to have potlucks together? Man, I can't wait. Is that what drives us? Because if that's what drives us, first and foremost, I don't think we're in the same boat as the Apostle Paul. What drove the Apostle Paul? It was that Christ was preached. He was looking around him and he's saying, how can people learn more about Jesus? That's what drove him. Are we asking that question? Are you asking that question now? Are you still creatively? And You know, I, I don't know. I always say, I'm pointing one finger, three coming back at me. Uh, so I'm preaching this to myself as well. But are you actively thinking about how you can tell people about Jesus now? Because that's what Paul was pumped about. How are we going to share the good news of Jesus? Because everybody needs it. This is the idea. When the news is that good, it's my title for the message. When the news is that good, we can't help but talk about it. We can't, can't, it can't, we, we, we just want to find ways. We want to ask God to reveal himself to people around us. When the news is that good, we'll find out for, for Kyrie and Kevin Durant and James Harden if their vision of an NBA championship is that good that they can lay down their selfishness, ignore their personal circumstances, and move toward that goal for us. If the news is that good, how can we preach it like Paul did? Because everybody needs the good news of Jesus. Everyone. You know, your your daughter or son who grew up in the church and has 
maybe walked away. They're not actively seeking God. They need the gospel of Jesus. What does it look like to pray? And I know many of you are praying. What does it look like to pray, to get on your knees, to plead with God for their salvation? What does it mean to ask them how you can pray for them? What does it mean to talk about Jesus with them and to take a risk? What about your next door neighbor who grew up maybe in the Lutheran or the Catholic or the Anglican church or the Baptist church or or the Mennonite church who grew up and it's a distant memory. They know the stories, but they haven't given God the light of day for 30 years. What does it look like to preach Christ to them? And we use this language of uh, preach. That doesn't mean getting them in for a sermon. That doesn't mean that you corner them on their front step and just start unleashing. But what does it mean to share this good news with them? What does it mean for, I, I've got two friends that I've been talking with lately and, and they're, they're into, um, sorry, <laughs> I'm losing, I'm, I'm on, a, on a step here and I lost my balance. <laughs> um, I got two friends that uh, they're, they're kind of into like new age spirituality and uh, all about like connecting with the light and white light and being at one with the universe and feeling the vibrations and the, and the rhythms of the universe and all this and kind of a mix of Jesus into it and interacting with the spirit world and, and been talking about faith with them. And it's, it's hard, like often, I, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say, but I want them to know Jesus because I really think that knowing that their creator loves them is the key to freedom for these folks. What about your friend or your family member who's dabbling in Buddhism? What about that Muslim person that you work with, our Muslim neighbor who is serving Allah but doesn't know the freedom, hasn't truly been reconciled to God through Jesus? What about your atheist neighbor? All of these folks around us who don't know Jesus. And Paul's sitting there in jail and he's surrounded by these guards and, and they've got all their different belief systems and they're believing in pagan gods and their hope is in, in the emperor and and he's like, you guys got to know about Jesus because he's better than all this. Why was Paul passionate about Jesus? Why was this good news so good? It was because Paul had been set free. Paul had been a murderous man. He had oversaw the killing of followers of Jesus. He'd been so bound, bent, and determined to become righteous before God by doing lots of good things, by eliminating any threats, that he was, he was, yeah, he was killing, he was leading the charges to kill and imprison all these believers. And God broke in. He has this incredible conversion experience. And he talks about, I'm in Christ. I'm a new creation. Talks about being set free. Talks about how there's no longer condemnation. Before he was condemned before God because his, his sin, his, his, all the good things he did before were like filthy rags before God because it was out of self amb- selfish ambition. It was out of making himself great rather than relying on God. And he says, Now I'm set free. I know my Creator. I know the plan He has for me. I know that I have an inheritance of life with Him. I've been reconciled to God. This is good news. That's what transformed Paul's life. And that's why he couldn't help to tell it. And so we need to ask this question. Are we driven by this burden, this passion to preach Christ? Am I? Have I experienced the news to be that good that it overwhelms my personal career goals? That it over, you know what? 
I might not be as successful as that pastor, or we might not be as successful as that church, or we might not have as flourishing a ministry, whatever. I don't care. Because Jesus is being preached. I don't, if it's not through me, that's, it's through somebody else. Because that's what matters most. Or maybe my, you know what, my career might suffer a bit. I might not make as much money this year because I'm chatting with people instead of getting things done. My yard might not be as tidy. My kids' clothes might not be as clean. I might not have as much uh, money for, for recreation at the end of the year because I've been giving to the sharing of the gospel. All of these things. And, and if we join with Paul, we're like, I don't, it's all right, I don't care. What matters is that Christ is being preached. The important thing is that in every way, whether it are false motives or true, Christ is preached, is what Paul says. So, I invite you to continue to root yourself in this good news of Jesus. I invite you to continue to spend time with Him so that we would fall more in love with Him. And I invite you to reorient your lives to this preaching of Jesus because there's joy found in that. Because He is that good. A simple way to start it. I'm going to call us back to, because I need this reminder too, who's your three? This is a practice that we've had for five years now as a church. We've got these little cards. Don't have the cards for you today. Uh, but you can just write it down. Who are three people God's placed in your life who don't know Jesus? And just start praying for them. Asking God every day. I pray for so-and-so that they would come to know the truth of Jesus. That they would recognize their sin and their idolatry. That in their brokenness and despair, they would look to you as their healer. Just pray these things. Pray promises of Scripture. Google it. How to pray for someone who doesn't know Jesus. Who's your three? Write those names down. Commit to praying for them. And then ask God. Say, God, I want an opportunity in the next two weeks to share something about who you are with someone around me. And then the third piece is, I want us to be asking this question as we emerge from COVID, not first and foremost, how can we worship together? Not first and foremost, how can we have meals together? Not first and foremost, how can we gather the community back together? Those are all important things. But first and foremost, how can we preach Christ? How can we let people know about who He is? Because the news is that good. May God guide us in this. Let's pray for a moment. God, we uh, thank you that we have this news that is this good. And we ask it, God, in, in the sinfulness of our hearts and our idolatry, we're so self-focused that I, I drift. I drift from you. And so I pray that you would renew the joy that I find in what you've done, that you've saved us from our sin, that you've given us hope of life forever with you instead of death and judgment. Please guide us into that. And I pray, God, that you would shape our hearts, that you would convict us. God, even if there's six people who listen to this who say, yes, I need to start sharing Jesus with people around me. God, even if there's six who say, I'm going to take some deliberate steps, that's awesome. And so I pray for that. I ask for that, God. And of course, I ask that each one would respond um, wholeheartedly. We pray that folks, that we would see the gospel advance as Paul, Paul talked about in his own experience. Guide us in this. Thank you for each one. I pray that you continue to sustain us and comfort us in these challenging days. We love you, Lord God. Amen.